Church family, good morning, and it's our privilege and pleasure to be able to gather like this. I'm so thankful for the people we have in our church that are uh, have such great abilities in technical things and for the advances that we've made that in a, in a time of crisis like this, we can gather together uh, online. And so uh, wherever you are uh, in your living room, your rec room, at the table, in the in the kitchen, uh, I want to welcome you and let's seek the Lord and his word and what he has for us. This has been such a terrible, terrible time. It's like nothing that I have ever seen or experienced before. And our whole world has been turned upside down. The numbers of people who've been affected by the virus is absolutely staggering and it's growing exponentially by the day. Millions and millions of lives are being affected. And many of these are nameless masses. And, and, uh, but sometimes you get some things that are a little closer to home. Uh, Vanessa, uh, Vanessa McKay in our own congregation, her brother and sister-in-law uh, have uh, contracted the virus and one of their three children have. Uh, they're out in BC and they were here with us at Christmas time. Uh, their daughter was working in our day camp last summer. And, and uh, Jackie, the mom, is currently in intensive care on a respirator, fighting for her life. And as difficult as that is, uh, her husband can't even be in there because there are not enough gowns and protective equipment for him to be with his wife. And uh, I hear the urgency in their note as they call for prayer, a request sent out with desperation uh, that they can see and feel. It's just palpable. And this becomes then more than a statistic. This becomes something that touches close to home. These are troublesome times. And uh, with that, I want to let you know that Jesus is not unaware or not without experience in this kind of thing. In fact, he is a savior who has experienced trouble, a troubled savior for all Jesus' strength of all his being together to be fully in charge. His humanity shone through with the great comfort that we have that Jesus is God, the son. He loved and understood and experienced what we did. He was tempted in every way, the scripture says, as we are and yet without sin so that he can sympathize with us. I want to show you a little picture of our troubled savior. In fact, in John's gospel, we have a few experiences where Jesus is troubled. Uh, the first one of them is in uh, John chapter 11. You'll remember that uh, famous passage about Lazarus who dies. Jesus uh, delays his return and, and he comes and he gathers at the grave and uh, Martha and Mary are there and they're saying, oh Lord, if you had only been here, our brother wouldn't have died. It was a desperate time for them. And so the whole gang gathered at the grave site and they were uh, moved uh, they were weeping, they were crying, they were deeply hurt. And, and in the midst of this, we read that Jesus himself was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, agitated. He, he felt the pain of these people. Even though he was going to resurrect Lazarus, he felt that. In fact, we see a picture of the Savior a couple of verses later the, in the... In the uh, the, the verse that is the shortest in the Bible, Jesus 
wept. He could be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Well, Jesus, a couple a chapter later in John chapter 12, uh, is thinking about uh, the, the, what it was going to be like to go to the cross, the agony and the shame and the abandonment that he would have to experience. The heart, his heart was troubled. Here's what it says. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Isn't this interesting that in the midst of this, Jesus, as he contemplates the cross, is troubled and agitated inside. The prophet Isaiah would remind us in chapter 53 that he was despised and rejected of people, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He understood that. A third time, uh, Jesus uh, has just had uh, Judas leave the upper room where they were having the Last Supper. Uh, Judas, the betrayer, uh, is uh, struggling. Uh, He's gone off to do that dirty deed, and Jesus is left with his disciples. The betrayer is gone, and Jesus had poured his life into this man, and uh, he was... He was struggling with this. And it says this in John 13, 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I tell you, one of you is going to to, uh, betray me. What a difficult, terrible time for Jesus. We see his his, uh, humanity shining through. And so here we are. A troubled Savior who can understand and, and feel our struggles and infirmities. But his disciples were not unaffected by this either. We have his troubled followers. With Judas gone to do his dastardly deed, Jesus, who has previously uh, told them he would have to die, and they're trying to wrap their minds around this. And here they are. Jesus says in John chapter 14, 13 and verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. This was troubling news. First, they saw Jesus and and his spirit and how down he seemed to be, how troubled and agitated and and bothered by this. And now he's telling them that he's going to leave them. And where he goes, they can't come with him. And they're trying to figure this all out. They'd given their whole life to follow him. Uh, They had uh, left families and businesses and, and had followed Jesus, believing he was the Messiah. And now he's not only he's has this dark mood about him, he tells us he's leaving us. We left everything for him and now he's leaving us. And, and Peter says, where are you going? And Jesus said, you can't follow now where I'm going, but you will later. And Peter protests. Uh, Peter says, you know, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He had pinned all of his hope on him. He gave up everything to follow him. And and Peter says, I'll follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll lay down my life for you. And uh, Jesus said, really, Peter? Really, you'll lay down your life for me? He says, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You talk about troubled. 
Jesus is leaving them, and now he's predicting that, that Peter would uh, ignore him, that he would uh, deny him three times. Very publicly, this leader now in front of his comrades is called out. Jesus is troubled in spirit, and here is Peter as well. They're full of questions. Where are you going? How, how are you going? How, where are you? We, how, we want to go with you. How come we can't go with you? Their heads were swimming. They're struggling. They realize the depth of the nightmare that they're about to undergo. They couldn't fully grasp it. And I'm thinking about us. What do you do when life is coming apart? What do you do when you, you don't know where to go? And, and with this virus, all the, the kinds of things that people are having to endure for this, how do you survive the earth-shattering times like this that we're in? Well, like COVID-19 sweeping the globe, when sick people are worried, when families are separated, when, when lives are torn apart, Jesus has something to say to us. He has something uh, to guide us in, to help us through this crisis. And the first thing he tells us, if we're going to get through these crises where we're troubled in spirit, we'll need to learn this, to trust God and to trust Jesus. Jesus says, as he addresses his disheartened followers, he says to them in John 14 and verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. Uh, Jesus is telling us what to do when, when we're confronted with something like that. Uh, this places his confidence and trust in his heavenly father. Jesus knew how to do that. He had lived in relationship with Father, his father. He counted on him. And he wanted us as his followers to do the same thing. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was with his disciples just before the, uh, the uh, soldiers came to take him away, there in the garden, he's disturbed, he's bothered. He says, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. I will entrust myself to you, Father. And that's what he tells us to do, to trust that our Heavenly Father would provide all that we need. Um, when, when we face a crisis, when fear rises, when our hearts are trembling, He calls us to put our trust in God, put our faith and our confidence in Him, to seek Him, uh, to rely on Him as the Almighty God. Jesus said, also, trust in me. Jesus' power was expressed in so many ways. His power over disease, his power over nature, his power over the demonic, uh, de demonic forces, uh, his power over death even. He says, trust in God, put your faith and trust in God and put your trust also in me. And we're reminded that from so many of the scriptures, uh, we're called to trust God, to trust Jesus. Jesus said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not, um, we won't fear. Be still and know that I am God. He is almighty God. He is on the throne and we can trust him and we can trust Jesus, our savior. The psalmist would say to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul in, in you. I trust, O my God. 
It's an amazing thing when we put our trust in God Almighty, when we see Him in all of His majesty and His power. It's, it's not hard for us to know that our souls can be calmed when we understand who He is and what He is capable of and that He calls us to trust Him. We can go through the storms of life through His help. So when COVID-19 batters our lives, when, when, we, when our hearts are hurting, when we're struggling, he calls us to trust God and trust Jesus. Well, trust is the preparation Jesus is making uh, for us. Uh, trust the preparation that he's making. Jesus would say in, uh, chapter, in verse 2, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to pre- there to prepare a place for you. Jesus tells us, I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be troubled in heart. I want you instead to trust God, trust me, and trust the preparation that I'm making for you. Jesus told them he was leaving, and that was distressing for them. But he was leaving for a purpose. He was preparing a place for us so that we could be together. Now, if you remember this passage of Scripture through the old King James Version, you'll, re- you'll remember that it said uh, uh, that he is preparing mansions for us. That's really not a great rendering of it. It's a place to stay. It's like he's got a, a, a lot of apartments for us. He's got a place where we can be there, and there'll be ample provision. And everybody, all of his children, there'll be a place for, none, for all of them. None will be without And he has this in mind, this uh, abandonment, that he wouldn't abandon us, but there would be a reunion, but he had to go and make preparation for us. So he calls us to trust in his going. But secondly, also, Jesus wants us to trust him in his return as he comes for his own. Listen to what it says in John uh, uh, 3 and 4, 14 verses 3 and 4. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that also where I am, you may be also. You know the way to the place I'm going. Jesus said, I'm not abandoning you. Uh, I'm going to prepare a place. And when I prepare a place, I'm going to come back so that I can take you to be with me. Uh, He wanted to dispel some of the fear that they had in his leaving. I want to tell you something that we think of this as heaven, and it is heaven, but heaven is not so much a place as it is a relationship. Where is it? Heaven is where Jesus is. Heaven is where God is. And he tells us that we're going to be living in a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And he put this all together uh, to correct some of the what our, our notions are. In fact, heaven is on earth. Heaven is on a new earth. And uh, he wanted to be with us. That's the point. In, in fact, in verse uh, John 14, he said, we will make our home with him or her. And, and, and we come to the very end of Holy Scripture. And we we're, have this revelation of what it's going to be like in the end. And what John tells us in Revelation 21 is this. Now the dwelling of God is with people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. 
You see, when God created us in the beginning, when he, when he fashioned us and made us, he made us to be in relationship with him. And we saw in the early chapters of Genesis how God was with the man and the woman. They would walk in the garden. They dwelled together. They lived together. They were, uh, they were in his presence. And, and uh, because of sin, all of that was ruined. But he's going to bring that back in the end. Jesus will return. He'll wrap up all of human history. And he'll bring us to himself that we can be with him where he is. We'll be his people. He'll be our God. And we will abide with him. You, when you read through John's gospel, you see all the time about abiding, abiding. It's living with him. That's his purpose. And when you think about how difficult and the struggle that we go through and the trials, he wants us to know that he himself will be with us. He's going to come back and take us to be with him. And, and so he wants us uh, to trust in him, not only because of that, because Jesus is the exclusive way to salvation. This is what he says. Uh, Thomas is asking a question on behalf of all of them. Jesus had said all this, that he'd be going away. They couldn't come with him. He was going to leave them, but he'd come back for them. And Thomas says to them, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Lord, you're, you're leaving us, you say, but we don't know where you're going. So you, you, we don't know how to find our, we don't, we have a, no map. We have no means of finding you. It's broadly accepted in this, uh, in this time of, of uh, our, our world that there are many roads or many ways to God. It's broadly accepted that there uh, there are many different religions, but all of them contribute to the same thing. And all of us are going in the same direction to the same place, all religions. And uh, it's long been uh, an issue that uh, even in ancient Israel and back in those times, people wanted to make sure they had all their bases covered. Uh, they, would, they had their own gods, but there were territorial gods and, and it wouldn't hurt to have another god or two on your side. And uh, so there had been this, this issue, and, and syncretism came, which is a blending of all different religions. And uh, I, I know a man who, was, uh, who had cancer, and he was trying everything he could to get well, every kind of therapy he could think of, uh, every kind of religious thing, every kind of prayer from whatever religion. He was grasping for anything and reaching out for anything and everything. Uh, you, it, it wouldn't hurt. The thought is it wouldn't hurt to have that on my side. If there's something to it, I want to have that. Uh, God never went with that. Um, he, Jesus himself declares that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is a part of a series on the I am's of Jesus. Jesus is speaking his uh, truth and revealing who he is through seven statements in the Gospel of John that reveal who he is to us by virtue of uh, a designation that he calls himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. And today we're looking at I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And so God wants us to know, or Jesus wants us to know, that all roads don't lead to the same place. In fact, rather than that, Jesus is an exclusive, uh, an exclusive claim. He has an exclusive claim, claim that 
Uh, he is the way. He is the truth and the life. Now he's re- responding to the uh, to the scripture uh, and and the question that had that that Thomas had. And Thomas said, "We don't know where you're going, so we can't know the way." And Jesus said, "The way is not." In, in a map, it's not in something else, it's in a person. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Jesus is saying is this, I'm the way. The way is in a person. It's not, it's not particularly in a teaching or a truth or something like that. It's in a person. And he expresses this to us, that Jesus is the way. By virtue of the way, he is the way because he is also the truth. He, it's not that he teaches the truth, or it's not that he knows the truth, although both, both of those are absolutely correct. He is the truth. He's the embodiment of the truth. Everything he is, is truth. He is reality. What he is, is accurate and correct and honest and consistent, and he coheres uh, all of his his beliefs, all of his, his uh, person. He's faithful. He's morally good. He is the supreme revelation of who God is as the truth. And so he is the way because he is all uh, the truth, total truth. And, uh, but he's also the way because he is the life. From the very beginning of John's gospel, he introduces us to that theme, the theme of life. In fact, he says in John 1 and verse 4, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. He he was life. He gave life to everything. In verse 3 of chapter 1, it says that he is uh, the creator of everything that exists. He is the source of light. And and, uh, everything he created, he sustains. It's alive because he is, and everything is reliant on him. And, and over and over, we're told in John's gospel that he is the life. And that life is, is not only eternal life, it's quality of life, as we looked at the other week. It's interesting to me to look at this. Uh, Jesus' teachings, uh, Jesus' ethical and moral values are highly respected around the world. Uh, many people who would not claim to be Christians, hold up Jesus and his teaching. In fact, many have little use for Jesus, uh, but uh, for, excuse me, they have little use for Christians, but they love Jesus and appreciate him. It's interesting to me, uh, having been in India a while ago, thinking of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, who was, he, he said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. He was committed to and understood uh, the teaching of Jesus Christ was, was unparalleled in anything. In, in fact, he felt the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount was, was probably the best guiding principles that anyone ever had. When I was in India this uh, past uh, couple months, uh, we drove by a place where there was a statue, and I asked uh, my pastor friend there, I said, who is this? So what's, what's the significance of this man? Um, and this figure was Swami Vivekananda. He lived about uh, 1900, in the early 1900s. He was so enamored with the teaching of Jesus uh, and that he, he became a follower of Jesus' teaching. 
And what he wanted to do was he wanted to reform Hinduism with the teaching of Jesus. I think we see something in there and how absolutely uh, stunning that the teaching of Jesus is. But Jesus teaches something here that is really an unpopular truth. It's it's not something that uh, really flies today. Jesus speaking for himself, his words, his claim is this. He says that he and he alone is the way to God. There's salvation in in no one else. It's it's, it's okay uh, to have that. But he says he and he alone is the one who brings people to God. Salvation is found only in him. It's okay to have a faith, but it's culturally impolite and even the height of arrogance to claim or believe that the faith that you have, or the beliefs that you have are right and other people are wrong. That your faith, your religion is right and to dare in a pluralistic society claim that someone else is not right. But I'm afraid this is precisely what Jesus says. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, it says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind, whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus or nothing. Uh, I, I've uh, had over the years a wonderful relationship with some, some dear Christians in uh, India, in Calcutta in particular. And I was intrigued by the story of the pastor of Kolkata Christian Fellowship uh, uh, when, when I heard his, his story of his coming to faith in Christ and how this became a part of it. And uh, I, I'm going to uh, have him share that with you at this time uh, so that you can hear something of his journey in coming to discover who Jesus is. Good morning and greetings from the Kolkata Christian Fellowship. It's such a joy for me to be able to share a part of my story on how I found the truth, how I found Jesus. Uh, I was born and brought up in a Hindu family and growing up I was taught that all gods are the same and all paths lead to salvation. You just need to choose and pick the path and it will lead you to the same place, the same salvation. And I remember growing up, I had learned to revere and respect all different gods and goddesses and deities across different religion. So in my house, we had the pictures of different gods and goddesses, but we also had the picture of Jesus that we would worship because we considered him to be also one of the gods. And I remember that one event that still stands out in my mind is my dad had just built a new house and it invited our family priest to come and do a housewarming ceremony. So in preparation to the housewarming ceremony, my dad had cleaned all the different pictures of the different gods and goddesses that we had and he had them prepared. So when our family priest walks into the room, he realizes that my dad has prepared all the different pictures, all the different deities were ready for the ceremony, but he had left out the picture of Jesus Christ. And the priest looked to my dad and said, why have you left the picture of Jesus Christ? Do you guys worship him too? And my dad responds saying that, well, we feel all gods are the same. So we've been worshiping Jesus as well, along with all the different gods and goddesses. But I did not include him in the ceremony because he's a Christian God. What will he do in a Hindu ceremony? To this, the priest responded saying that, well, if his picture is here, obviously he's here in this room. 
and if he's present in this room we better include him in the ceremony because he's a very very powerful god and you would want to please him in everything and so my dad brings the picture of jesus includes him for the ceremony that would be initiated and i remember the priest our family priest starting of the housewarming ceremony by worshiping the picture of jesus first then he goes on to worship the picture of other deities that event stayed in my mind for a very long time years later we had a pastor who came knocking at our door and he got to know about us from different people and so he just landed up at our doorstep and he introduced himself as the priest of jesus christ now in our mind we were thinking that our family priest had said that this jesus is a very powerful god that we should be pleasing him and so we better not turn away when his priest is at our doorstep so keeping that in mind we welcome this pastor into our house who had introduced himself as the priest of jesus christ and with that pastor entering our house he himself came from another faith background he shared his testimony with us he opened the bible with us and that's how our journey for seeking the truth started it took us seven long years to finally understand the uniqueness and the exclusivity of christ but i still praise god for that pastor who persevered and was patient never gave up on us for 7 years he journeyed with us opening the scriptures helping us understand the scriptures and finally for me and my family to surrender our life to christ completely it has been such a joy for us that when we look back we recognize that even when we were in darkness god was still calling us to him and he paved the way for us he opened doors for us so that we know him and that we can surrender our life to him i pray that this testimony of mine would be a blessing to many of you and i pray that god would be lifted up and glorified through it amen thank you nilav uh jesus gives life life the only way to god he says is through Jesus and what he's done when he died on the cross gave his life for us in fact Paul would say in Galatians 2 he would say if you could be saved through something other than Jesus if you could accomplish salvation by something you do then the greatest travesty that has ever been is that Jesus died and he died for nothing if there's no other way but Jesus tells us exclusively that he is the way of salvation and he wants us to trust his identity of who he is a uh, jesus uh, the identity of who he is jesus got through saying this and uh, philip had a, a, a discussion with him again another question jesus said if you really know me you will know my father as well from now on you do not know him uh, you do know him and you have seen him And here was Philip's question for Jesus. Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Lord, show us who he is. Let us know who who he is and and that will suffice for us if you can just show us who he is. It's interesting Jesus' response. He answered, "Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? If anyone has seen me, he has seen the father how can you say show us the father he's saying i've been with you and all along you haven't realized that if you look at me you'll see exactly what the father's like and if you look at the father you'll see what i am like and and here he is and the the 
The disciples were slow to come to understand fully what these meant. But Jesus said, you can trust me in this problem, in your, in your problem, because of who I am. I am God, the Son. And so Jesus reveals himself as the way, the truth, and the life. But he reveals himself also as God, the Son. And all you need is him. Well, there's something else if we pushed a little further past in, in this chapter, and we find this that he wants us to trust him and to get through these difficult times by putting our trust in the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says in John chapter 14, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. When Jesus launched and took, uh, took off from this planet and went back to heaven, he did not leave his followers as orphans. He understood their, their deep pain in his loss, but he gave them something uh, that, that uh, would take his place, and that was the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll give you another advocate, another comforter, another person. It will be me. My spirit will be with you forever. And he is also the spirit of truth. What a wonderful, uh, beautiful thing to know that Jesus didn't go just to prepare a place for us and come back to take us. But in this interim time, he left himself in the spirit of God who indwells us, is with us and in us and helps us. What a, a beautiful, beautiful uh, thing that he's given to us. And, and so his presence is always with us. As I said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, permanently indwelling in his children. And that ought to lead us to one thing that he brings his people to, and that is the experience of peace. He wants us to have peace. Listen to what he says to his troubled disciples. He said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. And he bookends this, these verses with, don't be troubled. Don't, let your hearts not be troubled. Let your hearts not be troubled. Uh, I give you peace. The peace that passes understanding. The peace that, of God that we can't make sense of. We can't figure out. And others looking at us may wonder, how in the midst of this storm of the things that are going on, can we have peace? It's because of who we worship and who we know. I trust this will be a great, great encouragement to you. I trust that God will, will just encourage your heart and you will face these uh, struggles and challenges uh, with peace and with confidence because you're trusting in God and you're trusting in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. I want to ask you a question. Have you opened your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you opened your heart to his loving uh, extension of his arms and his invitation to come and to believe in him? He wants you to put your faith in him. And that's why John said he wrote this so that we know that he was the Messiah and the son of God and in knowing we might believe and have life everlasting. And uh, my prayer is for you, if you have not yet done that, that you'll open your heart to Jesus Christ and uh, you will find in him one who will 
save your soul for all of eternity. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to reflect on this scripture. Thank you for who Jesus is. He is so wonderful, so awesome, and we are so grateful for his love and how he's extended that love to us to forgive us and accept us, make us his children, and and, uh, to lead us through some of these difficult times with his presence always there. Father, I pray for those who, who maybe haven't, don't have that assurance and that hope that you will open their heart, that they will turn from their waywardness and turn from their rejection of you and open uh, and, and come to you for salvation, uh, that they might know forgiveness and acceptance and uh, what it means to be a part of your family and to have life eternal. And so I just uh, commit us to you now in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.